Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso, and I'm a People's Choice Podcast Award-nominated host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, creative coach, and human. And this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative, take fear out of the driver's seat of your life, gain awareness around mental health, and own your right to have a dream and take up space. Today, you'll hear from a speech-language pathologist and a board-certified behavior analyst who will share insight on therapy and mental health, dating on and off the spectrum, and how you can tackle communication issues like codependency, passive aggression, and people-pleasing, which, might I add, are all things that certainly keep you from creativity. But before we jump in, I want to ask you a favor. If you love the show and it has helped you, please consider leaving it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps bring the show visibility and it pushes it up the charts so we can help and connect with more creatives. Also, consider sharing the show on your Instagram stories or Twitter. Tag the guest at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Now to the guest. Today, you'll hear from Dr. Allie Arena. She specializes in working with people who have autism and even does what's called neurodiverse couples counseling, where one partner is on the autism spectrum and the other is not. Along with her expertise on the dating intricacies of people with autism, she also does counseling for individuals who are not on the spectrum, who just struggle socially. I wanted to have Dr. Ali on the show because on some level, we all struggle with our relationships and social interactions. Regardless of who you are, the pandemic has undoubtedly affected your social life and the way you connect with people. Dr. Ali is here to share the way you can express yourself most authentically and the way to engage in truly healthy relationships. Now here she is. Dr. Ali Arena. Well, Dr. Ali or Ali, as I've been, <laughs> I've been gifted to call you Ali alone. Uh, it's so nice to have you here. I'm super grateful to have you on the show and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. My pleasure. So you have such an interesting career. I love it. I'm, I've never talked to anyone who has this particular expertise. You're an expert in dating and relationships for people on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So tell me how you chose that path and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Okay. Long, long path. Um, you know, I was typical, like went to college and I was like, Oh, I'll be a psychology. I think I was even a film major at some point, but basically graduated and I babysat a child with autism in college. And I was like, Oh, I could do this. So I kind of worked with people on the spectrum outside of school. And then I went back and I became a speech language pathologist and a behavior analyst. And during those times, you know, you could work on lots of different things, obviously, as a speech therapist, like an R sound maybe, right? But I kept being drawn back to people on the spectrum. And I found that I loved the social component. So I like the social component in anything, right? Like I love the dating shows because I love the dynamic and the communication. And that's really what I was drawn to. And a lot of them would be like, how do I do this in dating? Or like, I think I have to masturbate, but like, what do I even do there? And I was like, oh my gosh, no one's yeah. talking to you about this. Like, this is just not something. And that's a lot of disability culture kind of acting like that people with something else going on wouldn't be dating, which is not a reality at all. So when I decided to go back for my doctorate, I really just wanted to look at social skills and dating and being on the spectrum and sort of what was happening there. And I made a point to 
journal the whole time because mm. I realized as a therapist, you know, I think, oh, well, communication must be like the biggest barrier, right? Because that's what I love and that's what I'm into. And that did come up, but that wasn't the only thing that these individuals were concerned about. So that's kind of how I started on this path. And then from there, I've been doing lots of other things um, with people on the spectrum and those who are just uh, want help socially. Yeah. You know, you've got a lot of different expertise areas and we're going to delve into them. But one (laughs) thing you and I talked about is, you know, since maybe the path you're on is one that's less traveled, have you come up against any self-doubt, any doubters from your community? Like, how have you dealt with like any adversity in going down the path that you felt drawn to? Well, a few things. I mean, One, I'm a recovering awkward person. So like I was super awkward. I definitely had social anxiety. So, you know, that's kind of a mind trip when you're going to act like you can teach social skills, just dealing with that. And then there is a whole community of people who are actually autistic. And I love this. And I've seen it kind of blow up since Love on the Spectrum came out on Netflix. And there's just been, you know, more awareness about what it means to be a person on the spectrum. And I think there's a little bit of kind of like a tension of should someone who has not had our lived experience really be helping us? Um, So what I've been really trying to do is collaborate now with people who are on the spectrum and being like, hey, this is the skill set I have. I have it down. I can teach this. I love breaking down social skills into rules. But you're right. I have no idea what autistic burnout really feels like. So let's work together to help people. Mm. And the nice thing about being a therapist is you can build a therapeutic code. So that's nice too. It's like they're getting coaching from someone who's really experiencing what they're experiencing and then a therapist coming in and like maybe being able to give it a little cheaper because they can build their insurance. Right. And then like with your own, because you mentioned before we went into the interview and we were talking off air, you mentioned you've dealt with your own self-doubt and pursuing your path. What has that been like? And what's your advice to somebody else who's in the thick of that right now? You know, when I think about why did I even choose to become a speech therapist, I really think it's that communication was not something that was big in my household growing up. Like my parents were loving. I have a great childhood, but we didn't communicate a lot. We definitely didn't talk about our feelings a lot. Like, Wait, quickly, could I pause you? What's your definition of communication? Ooh, that's so good. I think just the ability to express yourself in an authentic way. Um, however, that's going to come out that's non-verbally or verbally, but just to be able to at minimum say what you want and need effectively. That is a great definition. It's good to have that as like an anchor point as we talk through the conversation. So you're saying in your household growing up, that definition of communication was not something that was accentuated or really taught or honored. Yeah. And not, and I don't think to the fault of anyone, I think it's just the times and life was fast and there wasn't really a time to like stop and be like, what do you need right now? Yeah. But when I sort of went later into life, I was like, whoa, I don't have boundaries. I'm pretty codependent. Yeah. I don't even really know how to truly ask for what I want and need. So that was big. I remember being in grad school and being like, wait, all I'm doing is to get these kids to tell me what they want. And I don't even really do that that well. And I think that is unfortunately something that's happening with, at least with my friends, like a lot of women, like it's like, we've forgotten that skill of communication. So that's also been like another big passion point of mine on just sort of honoring boundaries and then having the communication to say what you want in relationships. 
Yeah. So I really relate to what you just said. That was why I originally got into therapy when I, when I started going, mm-hmm. I was in my early twenties and I realized like, Oh, I have like really codependent relationships with certain members of my family. Like oh, totally. I have no separation between myself and other people. My worth is tied up in only things that are outside of me. Yeah. And so I'm still, that's like my lifelong journey is to, you know, keep learning and unlearning <laughs> these relationship and, and codependency issues and boundary or lack of boundaries stuff. But anyway, for someone who is like we were when we first started to have this wake up call that we need to start to have boundaries in our lives. Like, what was the first thing you did to start to learn what that word means? Like that word was in a word that was used when I was growing up. Like I didn't, you just did what, whatever someone asks of you all the time. A hundred percent. And I grew up in a family where there's not boundaries. It's a large Italian, Irish, like we just. Okay. We're Italian. Okay. You get it. Okay. Paisana. So yes, exactly. With an Italian culture, it's just like everything is fucking assimilated. A hundred percent. There's no separation. And if you bring a separation, it's like, why don't you love your mother? Oh, hello. Imagine moving from New Jersey to California. That was not well received by anyone. Girl, I moved from Detroit to California. I feel you. First person in my family to move out of state. No one liked it. It was not a lot of support. And now my little brother's here. He's not little. He's 29. But when he moved, it was like, oh, that's so great. You're going to go be with your sister. And I was like, oh. (laughs) So yes, I totally get it and hear it. You know, I think, well, one, I went to therapy. Yeah. So again, also in my household, therapy wasn't really talked about. And I think that's just part of the culture. It's not, you know, it is, it's a huge part of Italian culture. I mean, it's a lot of different cultures, but definitely it's like secrecy, keep it within the house. You got a problem. You keep it in these walls. Right. So it's like all about appearances and keeping that up. But in that we keep squashing our potential and our potential for happiness and our potential for growth and healing these ancestral issues that just keep spinning and spinning and spinning out. Absolutely. So it's like, yes, absolutely. Like I, I love that. And I just want to highlight that even if your family doesn't support therapy, do it. You will just be so much better for it. And then they will open their minds. It really, it was life-changing because also, you know, before you go to therapy and someone is objectively looking at your life, you just develop these stories or explanations or like, you know, like I didn't even know why am I so resentful that every Sunday I'm going to my aunt's house? Oh, cause I don't want to do it. And I don't know how to establish a boundary that I don't want to eat pasta because one, I'm getting fat and I would rather just watch Bravo and chill out. Right. Yeah. So that was big. I was like, Oh, these feelings are, that's resentment. I'm actually frustrated. So therapy was beyond helpful. And I'm, I'm still in therapy. I, love my therapist. I adore her. I'll be so sad if we ever break up. Um, (laughs) I feel the same way. She's the one. I always say that. Yeah. Like, and I I got lucky. I didn't have to date around. Like I know a lot of people have to search. I had a starter therapist. She was great. She went off and got pregnant, which was fine. And then I had a few flings in between, but once I found Jessica, you were done. I'm a lifer. I'm I'm done. I'm obsessed. I'm now I'm doing EMDR in addition. Ooh, I'm interested in that. So for people that don't know, explain what that is. So it's eye desensitization movement, right? And it's supposed to help if you do have trauma of any kind. It's not supposed to bring it up to the surface where you're like, oh my God, I'm dealing with this now. It's just sort of supposed to move it for you. So through therapy, another thing that kind of came up was I have a lot of stuff that I'm just like repressing. I don't even know. Like, I'm not even sure where it is, but it's in my body and I'm totally repressing it. And it's making it difficult to honestly really feel like true sadness, but also true joy. Like I'm kind of just hanging out in this neutral Mm. plane and that has been helping so much. It's been so impactful. 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm happy you found the one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Another thing your Instagram bio said that I loved was I'm obsessed with analyzing patterns of communication and determining if they make or break you. What does this mean? Okay. So two things. I, I love working with people on the spectrum, but I also have really just been moving a lot of this towards working with women and individuals in general. Like I have a few friends who have ADHD and that totally can be an issue sometimes in relationships. So it's really just looking at is the way you're talking, helping you or hurting you? Are you actually being passive aggressive? Are you not establishing a boundary? Um, or even being clear, like within my own relationship, if you're talking to me, I just need to know like what we're doing and maybe where I don't need that many details. I'll just kind of go with the flow. My fiance wants every detail possible. What, when, where, why, how, like (laughs) projected timeline. But when you learn that about someone, you can communicate with them more effectively. So that's kind of what I mean by that. Got it. And so what would be an example? I mean, that was a great example, but what would be an example of like a shitty communication pattern we might have within ourselves? And like, how do we aim to start to fix it? How can we see it in ourselves before our fiance or somebody else points it out to us? Yeah. I definitely think overall, a lot of people are more passive aggressive than they think. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the dialogue is a lot like, I'm really kind. So like, there's no way I can also be passive aggressive, but the lack of boundaries. So like an easy one, like, um, yeah, I mean, I'll drive to the West side if you need me to, but in reality, you don't want to drive there at all. Right. Right. Um, But you're not just saying it. So that's a little passive aggressive. And then another thing that some people do is they'll say the truth, like just, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you what's up. And I think people need to sort of check and say like, okay, is it true? Is it kind? And does it actually benefit the person you're saying it to you? Or are you just expressing truth to say it? And like, you know, it's not going to land well with the person you're saying it to. So really looking at why are you even communicating it? Right. And, you know, obviously we know there's like negative long-term repercussions from things like mental abuse and emotional abuse. Like that's clear. Totally. But with these smaller things, like they can be more insidious and kind of creep up on you. Yes. What are some of the long-term negative repercussions of something like poor boundaries or passive aggression? I mean, I think you eventually flip and whoever you're flipping on didn't see that coming at all, right? You're also probably going to get pretty resentful of yourself and not, maybe not even know why, like, why am I so annoyed? Why am I so overscheduled? Like it, it, you kind of just hit a moment of anger. And for some people, that's the moment that things change. And for some people, it's just a little chip on the iceberg and it takes a long time still, you know, it's hard to undo a full schedule that might've happened out of people pleasing, right? It takes a long time to pair back. Yeah. How do you start doing that? you know, just getting really clear, going back to like what you want and need. So I should say, I used to hate when people said that. I used to hate when people are like, do a vision board, like find your values, dream this up. And I was like, I don't get it. Like, I don't even feel those things. So one, like if that's you really go to therapy, talk to someone, maybe work with a coach, like try to get those things figured out in you because it's going to make it easier for you to establish a boundary. Cause that's hard to do if you're not even sure what bothers you or work backwards. Okay. Why am I always so annoyed at this person? They're obviously asking me to maybe do something I don't want to do and I can't even express it yet. So looking at it that way too. And then, you know, I, 
I'm recently single after being in a relationship for a long, I keep saying recently, it's actually been like a year, but like we didn't have a clean break. So it still feels pretty recent. And I've been kind of interested in some of the bad communication patterns I've seen from men that I've been talking with, not recently, but like in the past few months. And so I wonder, you know, cause I, I'm like, am I being overly brutal? Cause I, I think because I was in such a long relationship now, I'm just kind of like making cuts sooner than I would have in the past. Um, as far as like whether or not I keep dating the person, right. This is like a wandering way of asking if somebody you're seeing, or even in a friendship has a bad communication pattern, we can definitely set boundaries with them. But at what point does the onus get put on them? And like, should we just cut the cord with that person? Yeah. I mean, I think you got to see like, is that something you want to deal with? Right. So like one of my friends is recently dating someone and he has ADHD and he's just not a really good planner and he doesn't communicate that well. And I think it's just for her being like, all right, can I deal with that? Is that something I'm going to be able to like go with the flow on or is my personality pretty type A and I need that structure? That's something to look at too. Like, where are you able to wiggle and where are you not? And I do think if someone's not upfront, at least attempting to communicate, or you can't like read maybe why they're not, that's not a good sign. Like you should be communicating pretty well upfront. Yeah. In this particular instance, it was like, I had proposed something to this person and instead of replying, you know, on an iMessage, you can love something. They loved it and said nothing. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? I was like being very forward, basically saying I liked him and he loved it and wrote nothing back. (gasps) And then that is, yeah, it's like, come on, I'm going to interpret the hell out of that. I mean, yeah. And it was like a friend who we would cross a boundary with. So we, as in me. And that, so at that point I was like, uh, okay, I'm just never going to mention this to you again. Cause clearly it's off the table. And then weeks later I found out like, he just didn't know exactly what to say. And he felt the same way, but it was like, how would I have ever interpreted that from loving it? Ooh, that's hard. Yeah. And well, I also think and I'm by no means like an expert in this, but there is something to say about like text communication. I mean, kind of just sucks. I really do advise people as much as possible. Like I know we're in a pandemic now, but like meet the person in person because some people really are just bad texters and that's not something they plan to improve. And if you've met them a few times and then you see like, oh, wow, they don't even text people back like their own friends. Like that's just them. It's a lot easier to be okay with how they communicate and know it's not personal. Totally. Yeah. And I think it it spoke something to like where the relationship was at that I felt like I needed to do it via text versus like calling or whatever. So yeah, good note. I would love to like jump back to like talking about people on the spectrum. So there's been something interesting and I'm sure, you know, you've been on TikTok and stuff. There's a lot of like women on there who are on the spectrum, who are making videos and talking about how like they didn't know that they were autistic until they were much older. I mean, like throughout their whole childhood, they didn't know. Are there a lot of people, you know, living life, not realizing that they are on the spectrum in some way? And how does that affect them? Yeah, such a good question. So women in particular, you know, right now, unfortunately, the norms for being on the spectrum is like a white boy. Like that's kind of what we have. I'm just going to be honest. I think they're working on it. But so, and boys tend to be, you know, more rambunctious. So a behavior of some kinds could be more obvious. That's typically why they're getting identified earlier. Also women, you know, regardless of being on the spectrum or not, we kind of learn what we're supposed to do pretty early, right? We'll like fall into whatever pattern we're supposed to do. So on the spectrum or not, 
these young girls are at least picking up enough to copy what they need. And then what happens is they're in their late 20s or maybe they go to college and it's like this mask just starts falling off and someone's finally like, wait a second. And a lot of them get misdiagnosed with um, bipolar or severe anxiety or a lot of them had an eating disorder. So then that's, then there's trauma from that. So it, it's a lot of peeling back. And again, it's because there aren't good norms about women on the spectrum. And we kind of all learn how to mask things. Um, so I'm working with a young girl right now. She's 24. She just got diagnosed. She is studying to become a clinical psychologist. So that's how like enmeshed this can all be. Right. And wow, she was just kind of saying, like it hit her. She was reading stuff. And then she just kind of like asked her brother, she was like, do you think I'm on the spectrum? He was like, oh yeah. So it's, it's funny. Like, well, you could have told me bro. Right. A lot of these women later in life, once they dissect their childhood in any way with the lens of like an autism investigation, it's so obvious. And the parents start to be like, oh yeah, you did kind of do that. Or you did this. So I'm finding that for women, when they receive it, there, there is at least a little bit of like, oh, okay, there's a reason I'm feeling this way. However, there's a lot of demasking and trying to figure out like, well, wait, who am I and what have I been copying for so long? Whereas men, when they're diagnosed later, all I've ever heard is like real relief. And then they want, they just want the rules. Like, okay, so I'm socially awkward. This is why what am I supposed to do to then not be basically like, that's kind of how they, they look at it. So it, it just depends. And then I have couples who, um, you know, a husband, it's typically the husband, obviously it could be the wife too, but this is just what I've worked with gets diagnosed later. And again, it's significant relief within the marriage of like, Oh, okay. That's why you're doing this behavior. However, then there is a lot of therapy on figuring out how you sort of manage that behavior now, right? Like, how are we going to work through this together? Yeah, that's so interesting because from the outside, the only thing that's changed is you now have this diagnosis, right? Like you're still the same people, right? but like, how does that manifest? Like, how have you seen it work out with those couples? So one, neurology is at play now, right? So it's not like, oh, you're doing this thing that annoys the crap out of me. You're doing this because your brain is wired a certain way. So I do think that's helpful, just that like reframing. At the same time, though, there's a little bit of grief that happens in like, oh, wait, so I am with a person that has a differently wired brain. So then do I always have to just do what they want, right? So there's the whole navigation of how do you handle people with two different brains, basically. So what I work on a lot is like some rules. So maybe if your partner hates going to weddings because they're overwhelming, they're loud, you have to talk to a million people, you guys can come up with a reason that he's not going that works for both of you or maybe he goes to one wedding a year maybe your partner gets overwhelmed when you give too many tasks so you're going to learn to only give three um on the flip end maybe your partner never asks you how you are we're gonna have a rule that every day he just comes to you and says like how's your day and then literally is going to listen for three minutes about whatever you want to talk about for the day so it's just adding in rules Mm. What do you think that people who are not on the spectrum could learn from people who are on the spectrum about creativity, about life? That's such a good question. So literally every individual I've ever worked with on the spectrum is unbelievably kind, like so kind, so empathetic, genuine, like 
curiosity, maybe not for everything, but what they're curious about, they're going to learn to the greatest extent. And they're all very socially just, and they look at it just in a very pragmatic way. Like what, let's say whatever people's opinion are about COVID. If I was talking to someone on the spectrum, it's just super like, yeah, it's science. There's a disease. So wear a mask. And it's kind of like, there isn't room for other thoughts and opinions. We should all be like that. Right? Like it's just super, or like what happened with the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, yeah, that's really wrong. How is that still happening? Like, it's just very pragmatic and sincere and they love to learn all the stories around that, but it comes back to just right and wrong, black and white. I don't understand why we're debating this basically. I think everyone can take a page out of that book, right? What else? People on the spectrum do not lie because that's a social construct. And if they do, maybe they learn the social construct because they had to for whatever reason, but they're not naturally lying to you about stuff. Whereas I think we in society sometimes default to that. And I think just that you know, not everyone's brain needs to be like everyone else's. I think that's a really Mm. bad misconception we have. Like, I'm super grateful that my partner is more of an engineer, more analytical. I am not at all, but like, I need that. Thank God for him. He like helps me with budgeting, right? Like just know, realizing that you don't want to be around the same people all the time. You want different brains. Definitely. I just miss being around people in general right now. Oh my God, right? (laughs) And I know one of the things that you can really speak to is like Zoom and Zoom fatigue. And I'm curious, like how obviously that's affecting people on the spectrum, but just in general, like how is that affecting us, our relationships, the way we communicate? What have you seen? Yeah. So for most of my people on the spectrum, they seem to be liking it just because I think it takes away a little bit of that extra anxiety of, you know, like entering a place and seeing people in person. I've definitely seen more connection there. However, even they are burnt out. I think everyone's just over what this reality is. Mm -hmm. It also has given them perspective that as much as they kind of hate small talk, they do miss a little bit of that. Oh, there's a person that's going to talk to me and have interaction with. So for them, even they're hitting capacity. And then I just think all of us, I mean, I was really feeling it these past two weeks, like just such frustration or like I was, yeah, I was okay. Like I did the holidays and then January I was kind of relaxing from the holidays, but now it really hit me again. I think it is affecting all, I think it's affecting kids, honestly, like I just see the children I work with and it's so hard on them. Like they just want to be active and with their friends. So for us, I think it's just really important to connect with who you want to connect with. So It doesn't have to be Zoom. I think that was a thing that everyone was doing initially, right? Like, let's do a Zoom happy hour. And it's like, I hate Zoom at this point. If I never used it again, I'd be fine. So like, just call the person or have a texting conversation, but make sure you're reaching out, especially because this is affecting people in all different ways. And sometimes someone just needs you to ask and then they can, you know, talk to you a little bit more about it. How have you seen it affect people's dating lives? Because for those that are, of us that are single right now, it's really difficult. Like, I mean, I've been talking to this one guy and granted I'm in Detroit and he's in LA. Like I'm coming back to LA in like the next month, but I've been talking to him for two months over Zoom and text. And I'm like, what if I meet him? And it's just like, 
I know. And, and in one way it's cool. Cause like, I already know him so well before I'm even meeting him. I feel like we're back to like Jane Austen days where we're like corresponding yeah. with each other or you're like instant messaging every night and like, yes, exactly. But how have you seen it affect people's dating lives? And like, how do you think it will affect the trajectory of relationships? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, to your point, I think that's the biggest complaint is like, I'm talking to this person and they seem great, but it's, there's nothing you need to meet the person for lack of a better word, right? You need to see their vibe. You need to see if you're actually really attracted to them. So it is like you're extending that. And in a way you could not be wasting time. I think you enjoy talking to the person, but in a way, if you meet them, you're like, well, great. That was four months that I spent talking to someone. So I hear that in some ways. So I think it depends on who you are. A few of my friends have found relationships in this time because they are a person that takes a long time to open up and they like the conversation and sort of that it was imposed. Um, but my friends that are more active and want to get out there are hating this. They re- they're really not enjoying this, this dating time. And how I think it's going to affect things. Well, one, if you met during this time and it's working, I have a feeling that you have even a better chance of it being long-term because it, you're going through a huge major event together. And I think that bond is something really powerful that other couples won't have had, right? They might be, you know, there's people who are married with children. So I feel like this is going to be a moment where they look at their kids' lives particularly, right? Not necessarily their initial dating. So that's really cool for a couple. And I just think it's giving people, you know, I know a few people who moved in during this and already moved out, but in a way that's great. It's like, wow, we did it. We tried it for a month we, and it's not working and it's okay because apartments are so cheap right now that we're going to move out. So yeah, I guess there's pros and cons. I've seen so many people break up during this time. I have two marriages and yeah, I mean, this past year has definitely been a challenge in my relationship and it's really challenged me to get like really clear on how I'm communicating and just taking time to be present. I would say that's really good advice because you're always with your partner or person or roommates or whoever now you forget that like we used to walk in and out of doors and like say (laughs) hi to each other. Right. And really (laughs) maybe stop for a second. And if you're not doing that, you're going to feel the effects of it at some point. How, I know you're in therapy and doing all those things, but how have you been like reflecting on your own communication during this time? Are you journaling? Like, what are you doing to really stay present with that? Well, one of the things was definitely a lot of fights. I was like, all right, well, something's up, but it can't all be his fault, right? Um, so, I disagree. No, okay. Yeah, right? No, but like reflecting on that, a lot of fights. I am a big journaler. And that was another thing I initially hated. Like, I was like, this is so annoying. Why does everyone ask us to do this? But it really, finally, I like had, you know, whatever moment and now it's clicked. Big journaler. And then I just love learning. So I'm taking um, a relationship and sex certification course right now. And I've really been trying to apply anything I'm learning from there sort of in my relationship. My poor partner is like getting experimented on without knowing it. (laughs) Aren't they all though? I mean, at least yours is based in some sort of credential. Most of us are like doing some astrology voodoo on them and they have no idea. So (laughs) exactly, I, I respect it. I appreciate it. A big thing that we talk about on the show is taking fear out of the driver's seat. You know, we may not be able to eliminate it completely, but at least making sure it's not making decisions for us, that we are the ones that are sitting in the driver's seat of our own lives. 
How are you currently working on taking fear out of the driver's seat of your life? And what are your tips for others who are working toward the same? Um, fear dominated me for a long time. Fear of disappointing my family, fear of disappointing other people, fear of just not doing what you're supposed to do. So I think one of the big things for me was really moving. Like it sounds small, but just the physical movement to another place made a really big difference. And then I try to now when I wake up in the morning, ask myself, what's going to bring me joy? And then what am I really avoiding? Because that's typically an anxiety, fear-based thing. Ooh. Yeah. And I will try to do that. And it's typically something like so dumb. Like I avoided calling the gynecologist for literally two weeks. Like why? why? Nothing. I went. I'm all good. Nothing bad happened. <laughs> but like just avoided it for so long. So like what am I avoiding? Because I also in pandemic realized like, I can definitely have spikes in my anxiety if I'm not active and not leaving my house and if I'm not watching it. So when I would look around, it was like a constant reminder of like to do. So I really tried to be like, all right, what to do is giving you the most anxiety. What are you fearful around? Do it. And then on the opposite end, joy. Cause I noticed I was also working like a crazy person. Cause I was like, Oh, I have all the hours. I'm just home. But then I like wasn't happy either. So, you know. So yeah, I think that's something I'm coming up against a lot right now. Most of my friends are like struggling with some kind of burnout. Um, and I think that is highly due to the fact that we aren't getting simulated from outside even, you know, right. and we're working all the time. Outside of just like making more space in your schedule, what have you done to spark joy? Yeah. Well, one thing really quick, cause you'd asked me this before about zoom. I've been offering people that I work with if they want to, I'm like, you have my full attention, but do you want to go on a walk and just call each other and talk? Because I've actually seen it be more effective. Sometimes zoom is so like, I'm looking at you in the eye. Oh, I really want to go pick up that coffee, but I don't want you to see that I'm, you know, like, it's just, you're so in it. But other than that, yeah, I mean, I also started respecting that weekends were weekends again. I totally was just working through them because I was like, well, what's a weekend? I don't do anything, you know, <laughs> like, might as well just work. Um, we got a quarantine puppy and that's been one of the best things that's happened. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if people can add that. And then I do think this is a good time to get into something that you keep saying you're going to. So like, I, this is really bad. I know I'm Italian. I'm awful at cooking. Like my poor grandma's probably like rolling over in her grave, but I am. So I've been really trying to at least be like, okay, you're a woman in your thirties. You should have some basic meals that you know you can make. So, and that actually sparked, that came from a should, but now I love it. Like I'm into it. Yeah. yeah. I always talk about finding creativity in the mundane. And I think it's so important to find some sort of mundane task like cooking, which can be very creative, but like you have to eat. So it's kind of a mundane task yeah. that you can make creative and find some joy from. And I'm curious when you did find cooking and have like really committed to doing that, how have you seen it enhance the rest of your life and your creative outlook? So one thing is I, I used to see cooking very like I have to do this and like, it's annoying and whatever. So now one thing is I made space. I'm not cooking and then running to another client, which was how I was doing it before. I was like jamming it in. I definitely have a glass of wine while cooking normally. Um, and I started like putting on a podcast. So I kind of just made it things that I like doing any anyway. You like took yourself on a date. It sounds like. Kind of. And the other thing I just realized that I started doing money dates. So I'd always heard this. And again, like 
I'll admit, I was like bad with tracking spending. Like I got QuickBooks this year and I was like, oh, right. I should know what I'm putting into my business. Like that's a grown up move. Um, but now every, the last day of the month, yeah, I like pour a glass of wine. I like light a candle and I'm like, all right, I'm looking at my money and I'm like sitting with it and feeling sometimes empowered, sometimes frustrated, but at least being with it. That's a habit that's actually now bringing me a lot of joy because there's something nice about the knowledge, you know? Yeah. And I think it goes back to your statement before of burying your head in the sand. What am I avoiding? You're avoiding it because of some fear. And usually the fear isn't real. And if you actually can confront the fear, you can get on the other side of it, which is empowerment. And you really come, you know, I will say one thing about like tackling more fears. You just come out of it. Like I want to say the word sexier. I don't know why. Yeah. You're like, try me. Yeah. And, you know, I am, um, I was recently rereading Mating and Captivity by Esther Perel, and she talks about how creativity and like eroticism are very entwined. And it, mm-hmm. I've been thinking about that more. I'm like, I get it. Yeah. When you're just like in your zone, there is something that comes out of that. Well, and to get into the woo of it all, it's the same energy center in the body. So the, I think it's the root chakra is responsible for both creativity and sexuality. So if you're shutting yourself off from either one of those, the other one's going to be hampered. So it's really cool that you're kind of experiencing that firsthand. Yeah. How does that feel? Cause it, I, this is something I've come up against a lot as like an Italian woman just trying to step into that and like own your sexuality more. Has that been a challenge for you at all? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like I'm grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic university of America for my undergrad. Like, you went all in girl. Yeah. There's like full <laughs> all girl Catholic school, like did the whole thing. And again, like, I don't even consider myself Catholic right now. You're always Catholic. Good exactly. luck rooting that one out. <laughs> oh, but like, you don't realize how much that stuff just sort of like seeps in there. Yeah. So that's definitely been interesting. And even just speaking with you know, my family more about these like woo woo concepts, right? Like that just doesn't land. So I'm sort of learning like initially, you know, when I went through therapy and was learning all this stuff, I wanted to like impose it on people. That's not what you're supposed to do at all. Right. Like that was a little bit of a journey. Well, then that's like a part of codependence too, right? Is like once you learn a tool and you're like, you need to do this now. Yeah. Mom, you don't have boundaries either. It's your problem. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But you know what the thing is when you passionately talk about it, they kind of come around anyway, which is really exciting. They do. They're like, well, what, what is this thing that's working for you? Yeah. My mom's always like, you're just so happy. And initially she initially or she attributed it to my partner, which is true. He's wonderful. Love him. But I was like, no, it's a little more than that. I'm like working on my shit. So I'm curious how this phrase uh, resonates with you. What has been your experience of the phrase good girl and how has it held you back in life and how do you work to redefine it for yourself? Well, okay. So I didn't even realize how much that phrase bothered me until I said it to a little girl and this teacher was like, oh, we don't use that language here. And I remember like being like, okay, that teacher's kind of a bitch. But then I thought about it and I was like, oh, I've been doing, I have been doing this. And yeah, it's not, she's not a good girl. Some behavior that she did, I don't remember what it was at the time, but it was impressive and I was super excited for her. But yeah, I think I don't like that statement because it's, it's like something I did is what you're happy about. Please tell me what that is. Like I would rather very specific reinforcement of some kind, but then also like, I don't want to live up to this constant good girl thing. Like I definitely was raised to be, you know, like 
good and pretty and nice to whoever I end up with. And I think those are just things that now we're putting on women that they feel even more pressure to have to do all the time. Yeah. And you know what? You just brought up such a great thing and it goes back to the whole theme of communication. Be more specific. Like, yes, I think that that's exactly right because that's how we probably internalize that message as little girls. Oh, be a good girl. Don't do that. Be a good girl. Follow the rules. Be a good girl. So sit there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. To, to stay small. And then also that our worth is completely tied up in what we do. And I think that's why I've had to untie that. And I work on untying it every single day, but it's such a struggle for me. And I'm like obsessed with this idea of shedding the word good girl and the, the value I attach to that. But it, it's so difficult once it's in there. It's so difficult. And that's such a good point. Like the worth in the busyness. I mean, I struggle with that so much and even just the complimenting of that. Right. So I was very much complimented for how hard I worked, but not to the point if I ever was working too hard that I didn't have time for family, or maybe I didn't look as good because I was like really stressed out, then it wasn't good anymore. So it's like how the term was used. Yeah. Wow. Interesting messaging. Yeah. So much in Italian culture, right? I feel like I could do a whole podcast just about that. There's a lot to unpack. (laughs) And Italian men, there's a lot there, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's deep. It's deep. Yeah. What has your creative process, like, I mean, first of all, I'm assuming you consider yourself to be creative. Do you? I do, but I didn't for a really long time. I actually, I don't know if I've ever admitted this, but I think I used to see creative as like negative, like, oh, well, I'm doing academic things and like, I'm so great or whatever. But now, yeah, I definitely do. I consider myself creative. Actually, I almost like get off on it. Like I love having time to just like make content and like think about stuff with Instagram. I'm awful at actually making the graphics, but the content behind it, I love. So how did you come to finally shed any negative connotation that you or the academic world had put on that word and claim the word creative and make it more of a filter for your life? Well, living in LA really helps uh, just because most people here are coming from that lens. Land of the woo. Right. Yeah. So like, that's really nice that everyone here is going to understand, appreciate what I'm doing. I also think um, my partner, like I was saying, is an engineer. He's also super like rigid. And the fact that he's so supportive and kind of gets it, that is a nice lens for me to be like, okay, yeah, I must be doing something that feels a lot like me because he's so supportive and now my family is. So yeah, there's a little bit of codependent needing to get some approval, but that was helpful. And then just feeling into what works for me, you know, like I'm currently a speech therapist at a school and I hate it. I love speech therapy. I love my kids, but like nine to five school bullshit, like I, it kills me. And I think really leaning into that and learning like, yeah, that's just not you. You're not going to work in this structured kind of environment and being okay with that. Uh, I definitely feel you there. A lot of people listening are probably in some sort of nine to five, whether they're working for a corporation or an institution that's very binding Yes, and they have to follow a lot of rules. And it just, it doesn't really work for us for, for creative people. It's really, really difficult. It hurts. Yeah, it does. So like, how are you working toward making plans for yourself to have more freedom and be able to be more creatively expressive all the time? Yeah. I mean, eternal question. I think about it constantly. And then I go kind of back and forth with like, well, I think I want to have kids at one point. Are you supposed to have nine to five to have kids? You know, like all that dialogue that I sit with, but I think really leaning into what people are even asking for. So one cool thing that's been happening is 
either the women I work with on the spectrum or not on the spectrum, men, you know, just individuals, right? They've all wanted more group and accountability. And I've been loving that. So like forming things that work. I also just think being really honest with where I am financially, what I actually need financially, and then working backwards and seeing maybe it is that I'm at more of an institution or, you know, whatever, like one to two days a week. But then the rest of the time, I know I have the capacity to create and enjoy. Um, And I think just leaning into what I care about and what message I want to deliver. And it, uh, this is very woo woo, but the abundance and the people have been coming in. So just being really honest, present and like heart centered about what I'm doing. Yeah. Such great tips. So look at what you actually need financially and like ways you can get there and start kind of making a plan to get there. And then, you know, if you have to sidestep, like you said, like maybe you're not going to like completely go off on your own and be an entrepreneur right away for all your income, but maybe you can do some freelance stuff and kind of supplement your income that way. At least that way you're not completely beholden to a system and you have options and flexibility. And asking what does bring you joy, like what part of the job drew you to it in the first place? And is there something else you can do that brings that piece out more of the time? Yeah. Like within schools, actually, I just got asked if I wanted to consult on development of social and emotional curriculum. Like, yes, that is my jam. And I also like it because it's like, I wake up at five in the morning, like I'm one of those people, but I can go sit and like write a PowerPoint at five in the morning and then have to meet with them at 1 PM and be fine because I knew I had that obligation. That's easy. So yeah, feeling into what works for you. And I think, you know, I think the entrepreneurial journey is such a, an interesting one that people get wrong a lot. They're like, oh, I'll just get to this place and it will be easy or just do this thing. And then it will happen. And it's not only is it just constant change, but like your shit comes up all along the way. Like just even going on Instagram, I hated it. I was like, oh my God, like I I sound stupid. I don't look good. What if someone said my content doesn't make sense? Like, I mean, all your stuff comes up. So I think, you know, if you're going to jump in, be ready for it to not just be financial and business, but emotional. Like there was a point where I wasn't working out because I was working so much. Like you really got to be ready to do all the things and see what works for you. Yeah. How have you dealt with any of the criticism that comes up? Have you had any come up and like, how have you moved through it to keep putting content out there? So I haven't had much knock on wood, but I have had people reach out. So in the actually autistic community, most people do not like autism speaks because autism speaks is from more of a medical model. And it kind of, when it initially started was around the fear of having a kid on the spectrum and like how to help your kid on the spectrum. So just like with a lot of big organizations, they don't actually think the money they're getting is going towards the right things. I feel like people have said this about different charities. So one person had messaged me. I didn't realize this, like in like 2017 or something, I had put up like, happy world autism day, like some cheesy, stupid thing of me when I was like working at a children's hospital. And this person, they dove, they went back, they went back to 2017 on Instagram. We're like, I can't support you because you support autism speaks. And I was like, Hey, like, thanks for calling me out. I honestly didn't realize that was up there. I've learned a lot since then. And I realized like that actually doesn't work for the community I want to support. So I try to be honest, but you know, some people just want to say things to say things. And it, and you know, I think this is important for a lot of people in society. If you're wrong, like 
own it. Just admit it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's okay. It's so much worse when you (laughs) dig in and defend yourself. It's like the worst thing you could do is hurt someone and then be like, here's why I didn't actually hurt you. Yeah. Own it. Just own it and learn and move on. You know, one thing that's been happening a lot, you know, in this time period of some fights with my partner, I've had a lot of shame come up and it took me a long time to realize what that was, why I was immediately becoming defensive. Like, you know, so I think just sit with it. A lot of times, if people are pointing something out to you, it's not that you're necessarily automatically wrong, but they're touching something that matters. I'm sure there are just people being mean, but most of the time someone is at least pinching the surface of something that you could look into more. How do you deal with that shame voice when it comes up? Ooh. um, So one thing, this is like a communication tip. For a while, I would just kind of like, you know, be walking downstairs. I'd be saying hi to my dog and I'd be like, oh, Sebastian, we should cook, you know, Mexican tonight or whatever. And Sebastian's your fiance? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't even wait for his response. I'd like be in my head, you know, whatever. So be present when you're going to have a conversation. And the other reason to really be present is if someone's going to say something to you that might upset you, you need to be in in a place to take a deep breath. I've also, we've done a lot of work where I've said like, I'm a freezer. If I'm truly upset or like shocked, I really freeze. And he used to see that as insulting. Like I wasn't listening to him. I sometimes even like uncomfortably laughed. Like, I mean, I really had to get pretty vulnerable with him. Like, this is what's happening. I swear this isn't about you. So being able to communicate that to like, Hey, actually I just need like two minutes and then we could talk about this. And now he will call me out if I'm being defensive in a kind way though. For a while, it was a little bit like, I don't think he was trying to be mean, but it came across even like it made me more defensive, right? Because right. I felt like he was digging at me. So we've done a lot of work with that, but taking a deep breath and then reflecting. Like a lot of the times um, my partner isn't wrong, but he hasn't considered the whole thing. And maybe I didn't communicate something initially, which is why he came to that assumption. Yeah. Very good. Those are great tips. Yeah. So to wrap things up, I really believe creativity is deeply connected to the inner child and the like the little kid who was pure and open hearted and just wanted to like play with their crayons before the world had really gotten to them. And um, I'm wondering if you and your younger self were standing in the same room and looking at each other, what do you think she would say to you now and why? I think you're okay. I was a very nervous kid. I was nervous I was going to upset my parents or whoever. I wanted to impress everyone. So just really like you're okay or you're good enough. Mm. And what would you say to her and why? I mean, probably something similar. Like you're okay, go play or like, um, you know, it's so hard. I mean, a little kid. So one of the things is my mom was pretty OCD. So stuff had to be like cleaned in a certain way. So I kind of would like ignore the fun of toys because I'd be so worried about making sure they were like away a proper way. So, you know, just like have fun, really just chill, be a kid, you know, run around, enjoy yourself. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Allie, for being on the show. Of course. Thank you. You're awesome. And I love this conversation. Me too. Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Dr. Ali Arena. For more info on Ali, follow her at Connecting with Ali on Instagram. You can also check out her website, AliArenaCommunications.com. 
Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. You can follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show on Spotify, share the show with a friend, and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also, tag Dr. Allie at Connecting with Allie so she can share too. My wish for you this week is that you learn to set boundaries or at least take a first step toward that because I think that is the key to so much happiness in life. That you ask yourself what you're avoiding and whether you're expressing yourself authentically and really remember that empowerment comes from knowledge. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.